0: You're listening to Profiled, a podcast by NCCM, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, where we profile leaders of our community who inspire us every single day. My name is Omar Kamisa, and each week we'll be sitting with these amazing individuals to talk about their lives, the lessons they've learned, and their experiences being profiled. Assalamualaikum. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Profiled Podcast. I'm your host Omar Kamisa and thank you guys so much for checking us out once again this week. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the the man with the plan here at NCCM, the CEO Mustafa Farooq. How are you doing my man? It's almost Eid. Uh it's
1: it's good. I mean, for some folks, I guess it is Eid. Um, well, yeah, I guess
0: I guess by the time this comes out on Tuesday, it'll already be in Ramadan's been over now, right?
1: Yeah, and I guess there was like the you know round five thousand of moon fighting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, but uh, it's been nice. It's been nice. How about with you?
0: I don't think it's Ramadan unless we have moon fighting. Like I feel like there's something <laughs> <laughs> we're missing something in Ramadan unless like we we're all arguing about the moon.
1: Exactly, exactly. So it's good that during COVID times, some traditions are maintained. <laughs>
0: alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Um, and today we are so excited to have a Member of Parliament with us, uh, MP for Mississauga, Aaron Mills, Ikra Khalid. Welcome MP Khalid. Thank, thank you first and foremost for uh, joining us here today.
2: Thank you so much, Omar and Mustafa, for having me here today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
1: Uh, I want to start out this conversation by just like acknowledging the weird times we're living in, like this is the, I think probably like a Ramadan that probably hasn't happened for many folks and just for any Canadian, like just weird times. Uh, I realized how weird they were last night when at like two o'clock in the morning, uh, all of my brothers and sisters were downstairs and we were all wrestling, um, <laughs> you know, things have, things have gone on a weird tilt here. I did not think like, you know, five years ago, if you'd asked me what I'd be doing right now, I didn't think that would be the answer.
2: It's getting um, to you, eh?
1: So, uh, what have you been getting up to these days during COVID?
2: Uh, not wrestling, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to trying to make sure that my constituents are well taken care of. Uh, surprisingly, it's like work has gotten a lot busier during this time than uh, than it was before, and before it was pretty busy. So, just uh, you know, working, 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 workin', and uh, fasting, which uh, you know, so the the trips to the fridge are are few and far between now during fast. So you know, trying to maintain my weight, uh, but exercise I'm looking forward to getting back to after, after Eve.
1: Yeah. I mean, it must be like, I mean, it's, it's challenging. I think like just during these times, like when, um, I think we're, we're all at home, but somehow we're more busy than ever. You know what I mean? Like somehow it feels like I've, I just, I don't stop working at any time. I don't know if you've, I do and
2: I I feel like it's because that that organic nature of conversations or just you know like you you go you see your your colleagues your your teammates in that organic way of things happening it just doesn't happen anymore we have to schedule everything in you know like and and have meetings that are scheduled and you make your notes you prepare in advance and uh, that eats up a lot of time
0: I think for me it's just like that that barrier you know like when you're in the office or you're going to like a majid or you're in the community like you have that you're in that work mode but now it's just like work is all the time like yeah. it's always like you're always in the office because it's a, just another part of your house
2: yeah
0: but i don't know about you guys but i'm i'm happy to get coffee back oh. i have <laughs> i've I'm
2: fasting struggling. don't talk about coffee right now
0: that's the ol that's the only thing man. i think every iftar i, I stop it's important before iftar just so i can be like make it through Tarawe and through, <laughs> through at <Tiamat laughs> <all that> night. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Uh, no, like, honestly, I think that's the biggest thing, but most of all I think uh, you're going to have to start like a dojo or something for us. Cause everyone we've talked to has been interested in your fight club that you have.
1: It's not, it's really just an unfortunate way for my siblings to try to keep me in shape or, or just the way for them to exact, you know, years of sibling issues out. Um, you know, we're all like, so it's really funny uh, because all of my siblings are medical professionals
2: wow.
1: in one sense or the other. Um, uh, but uh, for some reason that has not limited their ability to get involved in all sorts of violent combat sports, uh, to which you know, I am an unfortunate spectator. Um, wow.
2: Spectator. You know, rule number one of Fight Club is you don't talk about it.
1: <laughs> uh, exactly. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we go.
0: Well, uh, MP College, like uh, this profile here, uh, this podcast here is called Profile, uh, and our goal really is to like just, you know, chat with people around our community that really inspire us like every week, like in the work that they do. Right. And, you know, many people know you like MP Ikra Khaled for the member of parliament, uh, sitting on the standing committee for justice and human rights. But like, let's rewind a little bit, you know, go back to like the late eighties, you know, young Ikra Khaled, like growing up there in Pakistan, like take us back to that. How was growing up there compared to like growing up here?
2: Um, I guess to really understand kind of my my life in Pakistan, I'll take you to like the 60s and 50s. Um, My dad uh, was born in a a small village in in Pakistan. And, uh, you know, this was a village that had no electricity, no gas, no anything. Uh, And he he was this little child who just loved his books. He loved to read. My granddad, not so much. He didn't encourage him. And so my dad was the guy who, from that little village with no amenities whatsoever, no motivation from his parents, uh, he, he brought himself out from there. He, he got his, uh, he completed his BA. He started teaching at that village. And then he went for his master's in Karachi University, like completely first time leaving the village. Uh, and then, you know, went on to start teaching at a university in Pakistan and um, and then went to England with all of us uh, to do his PhD. And and a lot of my life was just watching uh, watching him and just really looking up to him and, and all that he was. And he was so motivated. And I just, when I was young, I just couldn't understand why he, he loved his books, why he spent so much time studying. And, you know, I, 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 for one, I was quite violent myself. I have three brothers. We spent a lot of time wrestling And in, in my childhood. Um, but, uh, but I, I realized, and, and even now I, I realized that if I'd stayed in Pakistan in that, in that mindset, I'd probably, you know, be, uh, be an auntie with four kids and, and just, you know, sticking around, uh, and not really achieving my full potential. Um, that's kind of my background. I really, I think my parents have had a major influence in, in who I am today and, and, and my brothers as well. Yeah.
0: So do you think that like the biggest change was like the ed- the watching your dad get the education like that's what pushed you as well and like that makes the biggest difference between like growing up in Pakistan to like coming here it's like that education difference that that drive for education
2: I think it was more of a like that encouragement piece right i mean my my parents they never uh encouraged me and my brothers to just you know like memorize, which is like what the the Pakistani education curriculum is all about, is just, you know, you you rectify, you memorize, uh, and then you just regurgitate in exams. You know, he really encouraged thought, independent thought, exploring ideas, Uh, you know, from a young age, like we we were having these uh, these great conversations with my dad to really think about, you know, what life is, what Islam is. And, you know, when even uh, my dad is a hafiz of quran. And he used to teach kids uh, Quran as well when, uh, when he was younger and when I was younger. And, you know, he would, he would talk about the meaning behind everything. And he would talk about humanity and, and what our purpose was in life. And, and I think that that really led me to, to exploring that purpose for myself. Um, it led me to volunteering a lot uh, throughout my own life. I, I, I loved writing. My dad is a big poet, poetry fanatic. And nowadays, uh, him and I are watching Mirza Khalib, uh, the movie, which is pretty long, so we're we're doing it in installments.
0: Um, yeah. Oh, so I think uh, you're frozen here, or you're muted. I don't know if you're still on the call. I am. I think I don't know. Most of us. I think he oh, froze there.
2: here. He so, does look yeah, quite there you go. perplexed. Yeah. There he is. There he is.
0: Nope, lost him again. Just Give him one more second here. If he doesn't come back on, we'll just continue.
2: Okay.
0: But I think from like what what. You've been saying, like, the big influence for your family is just like your, your dad influenced a lot of the stuff, like, through the poetry, through the education. Like, I, I, even when you're, talk, you're talking about it, I can see the smile on your face. like.
2: <laughs> you know what, my, my dad, uh, you know, we, we consider him to be the visionary, but my mom was like the hard work behind it. You know, I, I come from a, like a middle class family. We didn't have much growing up. Um, And it was my watching my mom's hard work and my dad's ideas and his thoughts and and the way that they work together and still work together. I think uh, there's a lot to be learned from from our parents uh, and and how we conduct ourselves.
0: Yeah, I I feel like, you know, like that uprising there just makes such a big difference, right? Like there's a lot of uh, folks that aren't, you know, blessed with having that same kind of uprising. And you can see like the there's a loss of a guide sometimes. Right. But like that role model, that leadership. So, like you mentioned that your your family came here to Canada, and I I think I read online you guys came in like nineteen ninety
2: eight. Yep. Um, so
0: what like what's the biggest differences you found in like the opportunities available here compared to like back home or cool. when your dad was in, was studying?
2: Well, you know, I I I am a a woman, uh, and uh, you know, life in Pakistan in the eighties and nineties was very different for women. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I take that into, into account as to what I would have amounted to and, and what I am now. But I, I did spend um, a significant amount of my childhood in England as well, in Manchester, where my dad was doing his PhD. And, um, and, and when we moved to Canada, uh, I, I, it just felt like home. You know, like I, I felt like, you know, I finally found that place where I, where I belonged to. And maybe, you know, a lot of that had to do with, uh, with exploring the community, uh, with the volunteering uh, and just, you know, making friends here, being a teenager in, uh, in Canada and just, you know, finding my identity here. It's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful journey. And I can say, you know, out of the three countries that I've, I've lived in, Canada, it definitely is home for me.
1: So did you have a
0: British accent? So this
2: is. I used to. In fact, when I'm really upset, it comes out.
0: Well, that's amazing. oh that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) that's so good (laughs) uh one of the things
1: that i always like that always marvels me is like so many of us have these experiences these diasporic sort of experiences where our families travel back and forth uh, where we come here where we come and contribute uh do you think that like I don't know. Do you think that there's ways in which those stories sometimes somehow get erased as we go in public life, um, in this desire to sort of set out a vision for we are Canadian? Somehow we are forced to like hide those stories. I don't know. This is just me personally. Whenever I'm doing an interview, I always talk about how I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, and it almost acts as a kind of erasure for like our past sort of lives where we did travel. You know, our family traveled around from Pakistan and other things like that. I don't know what your thoughts are.
2: Um, I personally have kept really strong connection to my roots. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with with our own family structure and, and how we are. My mom, she's adamant, you know, like we two rules we have in our household. One is you do not speak English uh, in the house, you speak either Urdu or, if you're getting yelled at, you speak Punjabi. Uh, and, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> and and
2: the other is that we we all um, we are we must be at the dinner table together. My myself, my my brothers, their wives, the kids, my mom and dad. Every single night, ten o'clock, we're there at the dinner table, uh, and and we maintain that. But I, I see a lot of youth um, that I that I interact with, that I talk to. Uh, That come to volunteer, uh, you know, it it seems sometimes that they're embarrassed of their heritage or that they they don't own it, Um, and there seems to be uh, this divide between the first generation who carry those lived experiences. And the second generation who may or may not understand the context of those lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, that disconnect, I feel, has a lot to do with, um, with that, uh, I guess, erasure of, uh, of your heritage uh, as you're trying to find your own identity here in Canada as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, a lot of uh, what you mentioned there, because like my, my, I was born in Canada. My family, my parents were born in South Africa, but I think I've went back a couple of times. I don't speak any other language besides English. So it's like, there's nothing to really hold on to, right? Besides the stories that they've been saying, or when we went back to like, look at the places that they, that they grew up. Right. But other than that, there's really no identity there. Right. It's like yeah. you identify through like food or through stories or through pictures, but there's no other connection. Right. So like, I, I feel like for some of the, some of us that were born here, it's like, that's all we've known. Right. So like yeah. we don't have any kind of connection to a back home at all. Yeah.
2: Cause this is home. There is no back yeah. to to it. Yeah.
1: Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot to unpack there, and probably folks have unpacked that those kinds of questions for a long time around you know identity and, and where we, we come from and where we're going, but speaking of identity and where people are going, so you come to Canada, um, you are volunteering, you're finding your way. What led you to go to Washington?
2: um so the initial plan was to be a journalist. I wanted to be this big Pulitzer Award journalist. <laughs> it it was been. like I don't know. There's there's something really appealing about uh, you know exploring the world and uncovering those you know what people are trying to cover all of that. Um, and I, I wrote for my high school paper. In fact, my undergrad I did professional writing and criminology. Uh, And coincidentally, I've only ever taken one political science class in my entire educational career. And it was the lowest marks I've ever received uh, in in my entire educational career as well. I just I didn't get it. Um, So, you know, is um, I remember I was sitting in my living room. uh, I was I just graduated from York and um, and I I was involved in student politics a lot uh, at York. Uh, Pakistani Student Association, uh, York Student Alumni Program. I volunteered a lot, was up to shenanigans all the time at York. Uh, and, and my dad, he says to me, he says, I think we should go to poli- go into politics. And I laughed it off. I said, come on, Baba, like, I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to be this big shot person. I'm going to be the one catching the politicians, uh, not the one who's going to be it. And plus, I have these three brothers. Why don't you ask them? and uh you know i laughed it off um and i went off to law school and when i came back um this writing of mississauga aaron mills had opened up they were looking for a candidate and so eight years later my dad says to me again he says Ikra, i think you should run i was like bye i i don't know like i i don't know two things about how to run how to be a candidate any of that and so he said well why don't you put your name forward, consider it as an experience and, you know, in the future when you feel that you're ready to run, we'll do it again. And uh, so we, we started this campaign, uh, you know, I, I had to, you know, mom agreed, my brothers agreed. We started this campaign, family first, then our friends and then our friends' friends. And uh, we never thought we would win. Uh, and then lo and behold, December 13th, 2014, uh, you know, I, I, I had won a nomination and, uh, and I was like, oh, no, now what? Uh, and, you know, so at the time, the Liberal Party was the third party. And I was like, OK, you know, again, we're learning. We're, you know, there was no anticipation of me to win Aaron Mills because it was held by a very strong conservative uh, sitting member of parliament. And then I, I found myself sitting in, in, in Parliament post-2015 post, uh, post 2015 October, and I was like, what have I done? Uh, and so since then, it's just really been um, a learning experience. Uh, and the reason why I, I, I did it in the first place is because I've always been, uh, you know, volunteering, getting involved with community, and I just felt that this was another way to, to contribute, another way to To take ownership and and build upon and give back to this wonderful country that's been my home, um, you know, like my adopted home. So yeah, still still in that phase in that journey.
1: Uh, One of the things that I I always wonder about and I always think about is this question about courage. Like it takes a lot of guts, quite frankly, for anybody, for regardless of the political party you're associated with, it takes a lot of guts to sort of step up to the plate and say, you know, put your name forward. Like, what, what was the spark, like, obviously, like, you know, you, you come from what seems like an incredible family, incredibly who's sort of getting behind you and, 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 you know, advising you about how to move forward. But what was this? like, what was the drive to go towards this direction?
2: Um, tough question. Um, I guess I'll, I'll share a, a memory with you. Uh, this was when I was about six years old, um, I had three brothers, uh, and uh, and I remember we were sitting in in our front yard in, in Pakistan in our house in Bahawalpur, and I remember uh, I was standing in front of my my brothers and I was giving a speech. I have no idea what the speech was, um, but uh, but my mom uh, she she was calling us for lunch, and she comes in and she sees what's happening and she goes, "Look at this future Benazir Bhutto." Um, and I, I, you know, it was funny. And, and, and so like, she started to call me that as like a pet name. It's I, and, you know, throughout, throughout school, uh, throughout university and then law school, even, um, I, have really not, not consciously, but subconsciously just been like trying to organize and bring people together and, and talk about ideas and, and just, you know, been fascinated with the governance and, and all of that. And so when, when I, put my name forward as, as a candidate, as a potential candidate, I didn't really think about, um, about the, the courage piece of it. It was just, it was so, it was such a natural decision for me to make uh, to say, okay, okay, well, you know, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it. And it was not like, what are people going to say? Oh, and I heard what people said. Um, But you know, I, I didn't internalize any of that. If I don't know if that makes sense
0: yeah it it does make sense and like it kind of leads to like you know we've all seen that video the videos online of the man yelling at you and directing racist comments at, towards you and like when you go into that kind of world like that political world like that's kind of what you're facing a lot of the, like some of the time right so like how do you handle that how do you put up a brave face and, and like handle that every day or like go to the next day and want to get out of bed again you know like and put up the fight again the next day like
2: no, I get it, and you know what? There are there are more good days than bad days, uh, absolutely. And the first time that I I got yelled at uh, in a public way, and then people just screaming obscenities at me, I I froze. You know, I I completely froze. I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, there was a lot of you know commotion that had erupted, and I. I, I just stood there not knowing and uh, and I remember a very dear friend of mine he came around the back and he he took me away out of that uh, out of that scene um but you know it it gets better you you learn how to how to handle it you learn not to internalize it and and i i remember it's it's weird what gets to you and what doesn't get to you mm-hmm. um, and I'll, I'll share you another story uh this was during the the m one o three uh times I was receiving uh much hate mail. I was receiving nasty phone calls. There was a couple of death threats uh, that uh, that the RCMP, uh, the the, the Protective Services and and the the local police were investigating. Um, And, you know, amongst all of that, you know, people saying such nasty things. I didn't internalize any of that. But there was this one thread of, uh, of comments. There were just paragraphs upon paragraphs of analysis. Um, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, people sending me personal emails about the shape of my eyebrows. Oh my. And I, for some reason, that struck me a lot more than being called a raghead or being told to go home or, you know, people saying effing this and effing that and how could you and a traitor and, and whatever else language people use. But it was you know I, I had sleepless nights over the shape of my eyebrows. I went to my aesthetician I said, "Can you fix them there 's clearly something wrong with them. Canadians are telling me but um, but you know it was it 's interesting what uh, what triggers uh, you and and what doesn 't and you know I, I, I did uh, realize uh, that my eyebrows were fine uh, and uh, and you know kind of just moved on, but I remember those two weeks while that whole conversation was happening about my eyebrows, how devastated I was. Um, but, you know, you sign up for, for public office and, and there are sacrifices that you make. Uh, and a lot of that is your privacy. A lot of that is, uh, is you know, holding yourself open to, to criticism, whether it's valid or not. And, you know, it like gets, it's that balance uh, in order to, to do what you love to do. There's, there's some things that you need to give up and, and that's just one of them.
0: Like how, how does your family respond to like you getting attacked like that? Like that must be who it must be really hard on. Cause like, I think me and Mustafa had this conversation before, like he could, he, he, he even mentioned like he can take it. It's just, you know, it's, it's the, it's how it comes on to, to his wife and his family and his parents when they see it, like that's what really affects. So like it must have such a hard effect on your parents and your brothers
1: like uh just, just before you get just uh, before you answer that like the, there i mean to be to be completely honest it's nowhere near the level of what what you had to go through and because and nobody nobody should ever have to go through uh that kind of uh, torrential racist abuse but like you know like, there's always like these neo-nazi groups or like groups like the mutes who like you know started posting pictures of me like burning in hell or Uh, you know, weird things where like they would dress me up in a hijab and, you know, send out like memes about me and things like that. Um, And I always thought they were deeply hilarious. Uh, But my family was like so worried about me and they thought that like, you know, they, they got really worried. it. and that made me in terms internally then be like more worried because then I was like, Oh, I feel like I'm putting my family through stuff that they shouldn't have to go through.
2: Well, I, I, this is one aspect of my life that I don't involve my family in at all. I, I don't share a lot of this uh, this side of politics with them. Um, it, you know, for, for their safety, for their peace of mind. Obviously, my mom and dad worry a lot, uh, given just the nature of the job. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I keep I keep all of that quite separate. And and my brothers, uh, you know, they they have expressed concern, um, but then they you know they just pat me on the back and say you're a strong one, Ikra. And, uh, you know, we got your back, but, you know, we expect you to, to go out and to, to give them help. And, and that's just it. That's all the, that's all the motivation, the validation I need. And I keep going. So,
1: but where does that courage come from? Like, how do you, how do you keep soldiering forward with like such an incredible attitude? Like it's actually like, it's actually inspiring for me. I,
2: I guess I don't, I, I guess this is a negative of mine and, and a positive um, I sometimes develop like this tunnel vision i I set goals for myself i i you know like once i'm I have my teeth into into something i I don't look left or right and I, I just keep going and i i don't I don't think um, about you know myself uh, in, in my own uh conscience or, or or any of that I just you know if I got to do something, I got to do it. Like there's, there's no, there's no other way around it. I I don't, I personally don't call that courage. I just call that maybe focus or, you know, like, what else am I going to do? Like I I signed up for this and I got to make the best of it. Like this kind of opportunity is not given to a lot of people. You know, the, 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 the amount of trust that, that people have placed in me to, to, to do the right thing, to, to be that, that, that voice, to be that effective representative. I mean, I'm not going to chicken out.
0: Mm. Do you think that's where like, it's based on that courage like just doing the right thing, like uh, doing, standing up for what's right, and like standing against for what's wrong. Like that's always going to be the, the motivation to give you the courage. Like what, always when you think that like, when you believe that you're doing the right thing and you're fighting the right cause, that's the, that's where the courage comes from because like, you know, it's right. Like, you know that people are depending on you. So it's like, you'll be that representative for all those, all those voices kind of thing.
2: I guess that's it. I mean, it's either you, you hold true to your convictions or, or you don't, you don't bother to stand up. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's, I, and I don't think courage has anything to do with that. I think it's, it's your belief in, in yourself and and in the strength of your own convictions.
1: So, Speaking of convictions and the strength of those convictions, we've talked, we sort of talked around M103, and I wanted to talk about M103 a little bit. Um, so like you know, it's it's been some time looking back now at M103. And I remember when the debates came up at that time, I was, I believe, in law school, uh still. And you know, you'd be reading about all you know the controversy around even talking about the term Islamophobia. Uh, you know, we're years later. And now I think, I think in general, I think we can all accept that Islamophobia has become common parlance for people and policymakers across Canada. Looking back at M103 and sort of the already legacy that that's created, what are your thoughts now? in looking back at that, I mean, we at NCCM, we spend a lot of time fighting Islamophobia. And I think, you know, it's not a partisan observation to observe that what you did you know, took this question around the discourse of Islamophobia and standing up against it to the next level. So looking back at that whole debate, what are your thoughts about it?
2: Um well, when I when I when I put forward that motion, I I guess the, the, the naive person in me, the, the idealistic person in me really thought that this was going to be a kumbaya moment where all of parliament was going to come together and say, Yes, we, we need to, to deal with systemic racism and religious discrimination. Yes, Islamophobia exists because I had felt it. I, you know, I had experienced it. People in my writing had experienced it. There was e-petition 411 where almost 70,000 people told me that they had felt it and, and it was real. And you know, So I was initially very confused as to why this was uh, an issue, why this had become a, a national debate. And then I just, you know, and, and now reflecting back, it's, it's just the irony of it, that the very thing that I was, you know, trying to, to raise awareness to uh, and to, to combat, I, I became a victim of that. Uh, and, you know, and I, and I sometimes wonder if it had been anybody other than myself who had tabled the motion, would the same level of, of dialogue, of debate, would that have happened? And I think it was uh, ultimately a very healthy conversation for our country to have. Um, a conversation around, you know, conflicting rights or complementing rights, uh, and you know, like the the social contract that we have with with one another as we, you know, build bridges as we live together, we work together, um, and it was just like I felt a reevaluation of of that social contract to say. You know, what are our rights? Uh, what What is okay? What is not okay? Um, what are the issues that, uh, that we have to combat within our, our communities and our society? How do we, you know, how do we go forward from here? Is there space for all of us to have all of our rights maintained and respected uh, in Canadian society? Um, you know, yes, I, I received a, a lot of vitriol, but I think that the ultimate result of it um, was a uh, a really important conversation, and I'm I'm glad that that it happened. I'm glad that uh, that we were able to to move forward. That we're able to address the issue. Uh, and if I if I was to do it again, I would absolutely do it again.
0: Did I read online that you uh, got fifty thousand hate emails?
2: It was close to ninety thousand. Yeah. Oh my god.
0: Oh <laughs> my god. Oh my god. I don't think I've got ninety thousand emails in my life.
1: i mean i i do think that like you know your your perspective on it is is incredibly refreshing um and i think that the, the point you bring forward around whether somebody who was not identifiably muslim had brought it forward whether they would have faced the same backlash is also is also kind of interesting to think about uh because there's ways in which uh, you know, sort of non-controversial things, if there's something said by members of the Kenyan Muslim community, they come under unfair scrutiny. I remember years ago, I wrote this op-ed um, in the Edmonton Journal um, about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, and it was just, you know, a general, like, you know, getting behind the recommendations of the TRC. Uh, and there were just, like, so many letters to the Edmonton Journal being like, oh, don't tell us what to do. You go back to your country and go figure out what to do back in your country. Uh, And I think there's ways in which sometimes things that shouldn't be controversial, like we should all condemn racism, including when it's, uh, you know, towards the Canadian Muslim community in the form of Islamophobia, became this moment of controversy uh, and this lightning rod. But I mean, I think ultimately, considering where we're at right now, uh, it was an incredibly important legacy. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
2: No, I I completely agree with you. Uh, It's... uh some things are really tough to talk about um and you know like this is one thing that i get called out on a regular basis is if somebody of of the muslim faith commits some kind of crime somewhere in the world uh i get i get called on to condemn it uh and you know and i'm just saying um i, I absolutely this this action is is you know is horrible uh, nobody should 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 be doing that this is really terrible but why me versus somebody who is not of Muslim faith uh, should be called on to to condemn this, uh, and and you know I obviously try my best to to really reflect on um, you know the the human rights across the world regardless of of your religion or your your ethnicity or the color of your skin or uh, or all of the the other different uh, variables that we have as as humanity, um, you know, and you you just uh, try to speak up for as much as you can but there's no way uh that that i can speak for uh or you know call to account all of the the muslim community across the world and Mm -hmm. nor should should i be expected to um so you know i obviously there's there's a lot more work to be done around uh around this uh and you know just identity and and how much of that we internalize how much of the the community identity do we wear as as individual leaders i you know yourselves and and myself and and how much are we held accountable um and is that is that a fair accountability for the actions of of a larger community yeah for, for me when
0: i read into it like it kind of blows my mind that it was so opposed and there was so much hate that came back to you and like how deeply like like, divided it was, like, in terms of the response for it. Because, like, when this came out, I was not in, in this kind of scene at all, right? I was still worrying about just, like, my corporate job. And I really, I honestly, it wasn't even on my radar, to be honest. Um, but, like, when I started reading about it, it was almost, like, kind of just eye-opening to me that it was, like, what what you had to go through. And I also feel like a lot of people didn't really understand. They hear M103, just like they hear, hear, like, you know, any kind of, the, any bills that are passed, and it's just a number to them you know, and then they're like, uh, what's going on uh, with that? But uh, I feel like for me, it's just uh, really surprising to me how how that happened. And honestly, more power to you for that.
2: Thank you. Um, I think one thing that was surprising during this whole experience was, um, were some members of the Muslim community that, that felt like I was drawing too much attention to, to the community. Uh, And, you know, they said, well, it's, we don't want this attention. We're fine. We're we're okay with the way things are, uh, and and we don't want to have this conversation. Um, but I I found that a lot of a lot of that uh, school of thought was coming from the older generation, the first generation uh, Canadians, you know, who were who had immigrated from other parts of the world, just trying to fit in, trying to find their place in the country. And it was more the the youth that said, no, this this is an important conversation, and and we need to have it uh so you know it's a very um a very complex uh few years as as this conversation has uh, has happened uh, across the country
0: yeah and like uh, since those times like these days you've been working on so many incredible things right like from being the chair of the justice committee to working on issues with uh, human trafficking so like what's next for mp khalid
2: um <sighs> Good question. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm also the chair of the women's caucus, uh, the Liberal Women's Caucus, and the All Party Women's Caucus, um, and and I'm hoping to to really unpack uh, the the gendered experience uh, of of Canadians and and people all across the world. I'm uh, I'm concerned about uh, you know the SDGs uh, in. In the and the state of whether we're going to meet the sustainable development goals as as Canada and also uh, as as countries around the world, so a lot of thoughts, ideas. Uh, human rights is always going to to be very near and dear to me, and you know, like I see so many, um, you know, refugees, internally displaced people, uh, conflict, um, unnecessary conflict. Uh, that you know, I, all of all of those things. I think just ultimately, how can I make the plight of humanity uh a little bit easier on people that's
0: it yeah i think that's that that, that's honestly so like kind of inspirational you know like just inspirational and like motivational too. like just be like i think i feel like that should be all of our kind of questions how can we make it easier for another person you know like for anyone that's going through anything how can we make their lives easier how can it it takes the focus off self right it just says how can we make somebody else's life easier no matter what i love it so like you know one thing i always I, I try to ask any of like the people that we have on this podcast is like if you could speak to somebody that was in your position or like someone that was like is growing up like that's stuck in university that doesn't really know like how, know where to go in their life or you know they're a younger version of like a younger Ikraha, like what kind of like advice would you give them what kind of uh, what would you tell them right now
2: um I, I, so I personally, um, I feel like that kind of question always speaks to Ikra, what regrets have you had in your life um, that you would want to go back and fix? Uh, I, I personally try to live completely regret free of, uh, of of the decisions that I've made in, in my life. Um, but to improve uh, somebody else's uh, life and, and their decisions, I, I always say, don't, don't force it. You know, like if, if you believe in something, stick to it uh, and whatever you do in your life, you know, whether it's, uh, it's art or music or engineering or, you know, medicine or whatever it is that you think you want to do in life, just be passionate about it and, and give your 100% to, to whatever it is that you commit yourself to because if you're not able to commit yourself to yourself, uh, then then you won't be able to commit yourself to to anything at all uh, and and I think that that commitment uh, and that uh, that really defines a person and, and as to who they are uh, and the second thing is just have compassion and have empathy um, because I think that's one thing that's lacking in our community in our society is um, we're really becoming more and more internalized uh, and not thinking about uh, about the other uh, and you know, just having compassion and empathy for one another, I think, makes you a better person and, and makes uh, makes community a better person as well.
0: And those are lessons
2: that I'm actually teaching my uh, my nephews and my niece. Uh, you know, we have five rules in our house. Uh, one is, I mean, let me see if I can remember that they all know the rules, because I, <laughs> I made them. Um, one is no tattling, uh, no hitting, always be respectful, and no lying. And, uh, and the fifth one is, Love each other, and and that's it. Th- those are the rules. And whenever they violate a rule, I, I call them out on it and I just say, Hey, what's rule number one? No tattling. You got to staple that to the front of the
1: house. You got to staple those rules to the front of the house no of power. Think- no tattling. No, you got to staple those up right away. <laughs> Love most each other.
0: Most of all, I think you need that rules for your house, too just go show it oh, to your oh family. oh
1: that's, it's, it's too it's too soon over you need a no
0: soon. hitting just give it to your brother and sister and be like here we go there's a rule now <laughs> uh, but that does bring us to the end um uh for today um before we end here i do want to uh, mp do you have anything to say to any of the audience here that's kind of going through this time here of this uh, covid-19 time uh, or anything you want to say to wrap it up
2: yeah you know i i uh, firstly i, I I'm just uh, really in awe as to how NCCM is is playing its role in this conversation and in building and uh, an understanding of of our social contract and and uh, you know working on human rights uh, for for the Muslim community but just Canadians in general as well. I really appreciate uh, when when you speak out uh, for for the wrongs that that happen and and what we can improve on. So I really thank you uh, for your advocacy for. For highlighting uh, the, the issues and the concerns and, and to those that are, that are at home that are not sure as to where they are in life or, or what they're thinking or how to proceed or where to go from here, um, I say just, you know, take a deep breath, uh, calm down and, uh, and be patient. Uh, it'll come to you. Uh, good things always do come to you. Uh, and you know just have the conviction in yourself to to know when that good thing is there and and you'll get there and lastly i'll say uh, a covid Eid mubarak uh to everyone
0: uh, i mubarak to you and uh, uh to your family as well hope you guys have a a great weekend there and uh, you guys stay safe um for anyone that wants uh to get to get a hold of uh, mp ikra khalid or find out any more information i believe uh her twitter is i am ikra khalid. Um And you're on Facebook as well and Instagram?
2: I am. Uh, my Facebook handle is Ikra Khalid MP. And my Instagram is Ikra Khalid 1, the number one. Um, so do look me up. Uh, you're going uh, to have to start the TikTok soon. I'm not too sure about yeah. TikTok, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> juvenile. That's, what all, that's
0: what all the kids are using now. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so
1: much hey, for coming thank you.
2: on. Thanks for having me.
1: It really was really nice of you to take the time out. And uh, an Eid Mubarak for tomorrow. I hope you have a wonderful time with your family.
2: And you as well. You as well. I, you know, spend some time and be grateful for, for what we have, really. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Thank you guys so much. Uh, and thank you guys, uh, all the listeners here for listening as well. Uh, for those that haven't done it yet, please do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, leave a rating and review. It honestly means the world to us. Um, and if you have any questions as well, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, on Facebook and NCCM. Um, And we'll be happy to uh, go from there. Uh, That's all for today. Thank you, uh, MPA Krakhalid. Thank you, Mustafa Farouk, for uh, joining us today. And uh, we'll chat with you guys all next week. Take care. Masalaam. You've been listening to Profiled at NCCM Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. On Facebook and Twitter, it's at NCCM. And for Instagram, it's at NCCM underscore community. Thank you for listening. And be sure to check back next week.